Hello and welcome to the Jazz Imposters, a podcast about four musicians' journey through the world of jazz, one tune at a time. This is Dustin on the drums, Aaron on the electric bass, Andres on the saxophone, Emmanuel on the piano. Emmanuel's back, quartet, uh, and today we're working on Up Jump Spring by Freddie Hubbard. This one's almost as hard to say as Pent Up House. Up Jump Spring, yeah, that is tricky, and it's not hyphenated, it's like three... Well, separate I, words. I think it's like it was winter for a long time, and then up, up jump spring, jump spring. And by the time this episode comes out, it should be March, I think. So right. perfect timing. Perfect timing. We planned that. <laughs> we haven't, but we've gotten lucky a few times. <laughs> yeah, Halloween, we got lucky. Yeah, Christmas time. This was the... completely planned. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. I'll, I'll take more credit then. This is the jazz imposters <laughs> calculus happening here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're we're uh, we're getting close, guys. This is you. We're getting close to the end of this this round, and it's uh, it's exciting. It's making me nervous. Yeah, I don't like seeing the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows what the future holds? Right now, we'll have to determine that some other day. I was but, scrolling through the podcast list, feeling like that's not a joke anymore. We made it that far. There's a there's a handful of real lessons or episodes there yeah for sure there's a great wealth of content that you guys can go back and explore if you're new to the podcast we'd love for you to do that and <laughs> if you're trapped in your car i would say start what, what letter should they start out <laughs> realistically maybe things, like h things start out a little rough <laughs> yeah in the early goings and the abcs you know but you know you you learn your first letters when you're young and, and you, you don't say them quite right and then yeah. it gets a little more nuanced and sophisticated as you go along and somehow we've managed to continue finding new avenues to explore that we've yet untapped uh, even this far into the podcast and and yet again here on letter u we're talking about the writer of this song freddie hubbard who isn't really someone we haven't talked about him yeah we haven't covered him to, up to Who's this point freddie freddie hubbard was a trumpet player in, who came to prominence in the 19 late 1950s early 1960s so as Aaron pointed out he was sort of that that second wave of great bop musicians um, and you know some of this guy's influences were people like Lee Morgan and Clifford Brown and Miles Davis and before he sort of found his own voice there in the early 1960s um, he was a member of Art Blakey's band which I feel like has been a recurring element mm-hmm. on this podcast there have been a few why would why why would that be i don't awesome. i think the our blakey just had a, a he played for the, talent, what, what did he play he played the drums oh yeah well, that's that's uh, that he, knew, a, he knew how to pick them <laughs> <laughs> he knew how to pick them all right well, also we, I know we learned from our documentary that blue note really facilitated a lot of those musicians careers as well including mr freddie hubbard's this is actually an interesting story i went back and found some interviews with uh freddie hubbard and some other articles written about him and found some interesting anecdotes about his career. One of the more interesting ones I found was that early in his career as a sideman, I think he was performing alongside John Coltrane with a band at Birdland, a club in New York, at at the time in the early 1960s. May have been still the late 1950s. And uh, he wasn't well known at this point. But he was trying to make a name for himself. And one of the things he had done to stand out, that he did to stand out, was he memorized note for note a Miles Davis trumpet solo that he was featuring in his performances. But on this particular night, Miles Davis came into the audience. <laughs> and so upon recognizing him, oh Freddie God. Hubbard, what in do? the last minute, had do? to come up with something else to play. <laughs> and in his own words, he's like putting something together at the last minute to play. And... Uh, I, he said he felt like he came up with something pretty good. 
he played it, and Miles Davis came up to him after the show, and they introduced themselves to, to one another. And then Miles Davis, I think, along with him, was the manager for Blue Note Records, and he told the manager, sign this guy right now. Wow. And they signed Freddie Hubbard to a four-record deal or something like that on that night. I, I almost thought you were going to say Miles Davis came up to him and said, <laughs> don't you ever play my stuff my again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Exactly. no, apparently apparently uh, he knew talent when he heard it. Wow, and, how cool is that? Yeah, and maybe he, maybe he was flattered to have been imitated on that level, but... Um, even still, Freddie Hubbard would later go on to find his own voice. I heard him talk a lot about like how he found his own style, and a lot of people, like a uh, current trumpet player and one of the leaders at the jazz at Lincoln Center, uh, Wynton Marsalis, uh, mm -hmm. says that Freddie Hubbard was like one of his main influences. Hmm. And they talk about how he plays the trumpet like a saxophone. And, oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So at first that didn't really make sense to me. I thought Andres might think this was interesting, but. Apparently, he tried to do like these long glissando runs similar to what you hear a saxophone player play. He tried to imitate that same style on a trumpet, which wasn't really something hmm. being done at that point. And uh, I guess uh, found a lot of success doing it or found uh, a unique style in doing so. I, one of the things I listened to was the whole album where this song is featured, not the first time as you explained it, but on Backlash. Mm -hmm. um, and there was one tune where there weren't any chord changes. It was like a long jam in one one key or one along one chord or vamp. And I swear he quoted a Miles Davis solo mm -hmm. from In a Silent Way. Mm. But I don't know if that's possible because, I, I, like, lining up the dates, I think this was recorded in 1967. Okay. And I don't know. In, in a Silent Way was probably right around there. Wow. If not earlier. Yeah. So I just wonder if, you know, the coincidence of them sounding so similar was because of his early imitation of Miles Davis, mm -hmm. or if he purposely, you know, learned it and added it, or it seems something likely. Like that. I mean, why discount it? Um, yeah, but anyway, Freddie Hubbard went on to find a lot of his own success, his own distinctive playing style. In the nineteen, I think, seventies, he sort of transitioned from what was hard bop um, into more of like I guess what they refer to as like a post bop style. He even like experimented with free jazz, later got into like fusion, played a lot of R and B and pop, um, moved out to LA and I, I think he in his own words said at that point he didn't do as much playing as he should have to keep his chops up. Um he also like I think in the eighties started his early work was sampled on early hip-hop records mm -hmm. and so he started mm -hmm. making a lot of money from that just the royalties of it and so he didn't play as much he didn't tour as much um just because he was comfortable with where he was um but then when he did start to try playing again his chops were so out of shape he wasn't warming up enough he ended up splitting his lip in the early 1990s might, might have happened like on in 1990 and it trying to play through it it got infected and it basically ruined his embouchure is that the oh, right word yep. yeah yeah <laughs> like it, it ruined it so that he couldn't play for years and um ended up only late like he you know succumbed to alcoholism in that time when he wasn't able to play and like according to him almost drank himself to death like had an ulcer that ruptured and like almost oh died um but then uh turned his life around got his stuff back together and made a comeback in the early 2000s and he would say his chops what weren't what they once were in the early days, but he tried to play, he said, more from his soul at that point, and also featured a lot more of the flugelhorn, which apparently is a little bit less 
demanding, physically demanding than the trumpet it's a, is. It's a bigger mouthpiece. Oh, okay. Is that right? Oh, is it? Yeah. Because it's also a bigger I would horn. I so, yeah. Interesting. I, I yeah. would assume that because it's a bigger machine, you'd have to use more air just, or something. I was just thinking that would be, if you told that story to like your child who's who's not practicing, that would mm-hmm. be kind of slightly traumatizing. Like, if you don't practice, your your lips going <laughs> to yeah. right. bust open. And yeah. What do you want to <laughs> fall into alcohol? Do you want to be wood? like Freddie Hubbard? <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things was in, in the fact that he was trying to, to create this style of these long, dramatic runs on the trumpet, it was physically demanding the way that he played. And so when he came back, he wasn't quite ready to jump back into that style, and it ended up so ended up hurting himself. This is just a general question. Yeah. So like, I only know what my <laughs> some weird sentence. My, what my mouth feels like if I haven't been practicing. <laughs> I don't know what your mouth feels like. Right. But as Let's far as like as far as chops go, like can as a drummer, can you tell like, hey, I've taken a month off. I haven't played the drums. Like, are you more? I can fatigued? tell day to day, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, like, really? I mean, I I I personally like this injury came as a result of Freddie Hubbard not warming up. And for myself personally, oh. man, like. I like to warm up a lot. Like I if I if I have the time, I will spend an hour warming up, you know, just because I feel much sharper at the end of a warm up than I do at the beginning of it. At the beginning I feel very rigid and sloppy and uncomfortable. By the end of it I feel much more relaxed hmm. and in control. Um that's me personally. I I yeah, I I enjoy a thorough warm up. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't imagine like taking years off though and what that might do. I, I broke yeah. a finger a while ago mm. and coming back to the instrument after maybe four months of not being able to use my hand in that yeah. capacity was one of the most frustrating things. I'll never oh, forget man. it because you, basically the muscle memory is still there. Like your brain knows what it wants to do, which I imagine is probably how Freddie Hubbard felt. Right. Like I've played these licks before. I know what to do. But then when uh, your body doesn't follow suit, yeah. oh my gosh. And I couldn't imagine you know, on that kind of level, but then yeah. also taking years off and trying to come back wow. and yeah. seeing what that would be like. Sometimes yeah. though, some skills are, it's almost refreshing to take a break. Mm-hmm. I've, I've done certain activities before where I thought going back into it, oh man, I'm going to have lost it all or whatever. And then suddenly I do something right, right where I left off, maybe even a little better. So yeah. some, sometimes a break works for me. No, yeah. I think, I think as far as like mental clarity and like, or inspiration, that can be like a good thing. And that's actually what I was going to talk more about in terms of this song. And maybe we'll cover that when we get to talking about how we prepared for this song. Because I kind of took that approach as far as sort of my strict preparation for this song. But but more on that later. Okay. Um, so maybe we should say, if you haven't heard Up Jump Spring yet, now's a great time to listen to it. Yeah. Uh, there's a link in the notes where you can uh, go straight to recording. Yeah. And uh, maybe we should play just a little bit to give a taste of sure. what it sounds like. Let's do it. Cool. There's a beat missing, Dustin. <laughs> Last time we had an extra. This time we're missing. Where one. are they going? Yeah. I can't. <laughs> we, I want we, my jazz we, back. We, we used them all up in take five. That's oh why we had to, gosh! We had to like, uh, what is it? Ration for this one. <laughs> yeah. So this song is in three four. You might notice in your charts. Um, we've covered one other song in three four before. I believe Wayne Shorter's <clears throat> Juju was in three four. <laughs> that was an adventure. Yeah, that was a different kind of three four. This right. three four feels a little bit more comfortable. You must admit. Listeners. I think so. Yeah, um, this that... is what's referred to as a jazz waltz. 
um, which is a pretty, I, to me, it's a very natural feeling rhythm, even though it's not common time, 4-4. Four, four. To me, I don't have trouble locating the downbeat. It feels very obvious to me where mm-hmm. the downbeat is. And obviously we could, well, we couldn't, but somebody could make it more <laughs> difficult to find the downbeat. But uh, as far as playing a traditional jazz waltz, this is more or less the feel. Yeah, I feel like we can when you can lean into into one, like with one, two, three, four, sometimes with all these subdivisions, you know, if you get lost, it can be a little bit more uh, confusing. But if you're leading the one, two, three, one, leaning into that one each time, yeah, right. I feel like it can help center you, yourself yeah. a lot. Yeah. yeah. And I think in the recording, and this is the one I listened to off of Backlash, mm-hmm. and uh, Dusty mentioned it was recorded earlier as well. Mm-hmm. But in that recording, it's very pendulum like but swing swing one two three one you really feel it yeah throughout the whole thing especially yeah. in the head but even through the solos yeah yeah the the feel is constant and the waltz is obviously a style that goes that far predates jazz jazz sort of co-opted it for their own purposes and add a little bit of swing to it but you still hear mostly that one two three one two yeah. three sort of present underneath all the syncopation and swinging notes and all that nonsense so in addition to the heavy one two three feel there's something about the harmony in this song that made it really easy for me to listen to and easy to remember um as i was listening to it the first time you know i was trying out my jazz ear like okay what do i hear changing you know what's going on what can i guess about the chord motion and um i couldn't pinpoint exactly what was happening but I knew these were familiar big changes like we know, like the, like there's a two. There was a lot of that motion. Um, there's also the beginning, what we learned in rhythm changes pretty much, um, which is one, six, two, five, which is. Um, so I knew that it sounded like the big Legos to me, like, oh, I know these, these changes and I know yeah. this motion and it made it, easier for my ear to follow yeah every version you listen to of this song at least every one that i did was probably like 10 different ones the the melody is always very present the melody is very singable and memorable mm-hmm. and easy to to latch on to i found um and so you know the chord changes aren't anything too experimental they're very familiar and the melody is very musical and easy to it gets stuck in your head yeah down. so um, you know, all the way from the earliest version with Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers to versions being done much later, they seem to stick to the standard feel and musical nature of this jazz waltz. We both said that it reminded us of tunes like Four or Afternoon, Afternoon in Paris. Paris yeah. yeah, yeah. The familiar nature of the changes, like you mentioned, sort of makes it one of those like quintessential like hard bop songs coming out of bebop. They're they're going back to sort of simplifi- simplifying harmony and melody. To make it a little bit more musical and um, returning to basic song structures, like this song is an AABA form mm-hmm. again, um, and there are those rhythm changes. It does get a little bit more experimental, but almost uh, deceptively so because you don't really hear it. It's still very musical throughout, but you know that first four bars, we've got the rhythm changes. The second four bars, we're sort of floating through a couple different key changes that are stepping down. Uh, a whole step every mm-hmm. time um, until we land in D minor in the last, or I'm sorry, the third set of four bars. 
And then it kind of vamps for a second between mm-hmm. D minor and E flat minor, which could sound almost, uh, you know, I don't know, Thelonious Monkish, but it doesn't in this yeah, context. Yeah, you're, you're right. We we learned that in Epistrophe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it doesn't sound that way at all in this no. song. It's, it somehow retains it's, a very musical quality. It's sweet. It has a sweetness to it that, <laughs> say, Epistrophe doesn't. Right. And then in our first ending, the four bars of our first ending, we have our Aaron Toth patented 2-5 wind-up. Um, <laughs> Getting us back to our home key of B flat major, um, so there is some some non diatonic chords, some key changes, some some things that are you know would sound dissonant out of context, but somehow composed very brilliantly here to stay very musical. So it all comes together in a very familiar sounding way. And Emmanuel, you and I were talking about this earlier, how it sounds kind of like popular music. Like there's some popular, you know, almost um, today's popular music. It reminded us a little bit. Oh, for sure, man. That that one six two five. I feel like I, I hear that all the time on the radio. Uh, it also it also uh, brought to mind some of the the other yeah pop recordings that might have been uh, been occurring right around the time that this track was released. The I think it was nineteen sixty two with the Jazz Messengers. I mean, right around sort of our like Sam Cooke Temptations uh, sort of come up area where we had a, this chord progression was present in a lot of these songs. If, if not the one six two five, at least the one six four five, which we've talked about in the past, we yeah. can we can substitute. Kind of your um, wait, you can substitute those. I forgot that tip. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure. that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Can you, could you play that for us real quick, Emmanuel? Like the first four bars as the as it's written one six two five, and mm-hmm. then maybe substitute that two for the four, like you're talking about. Sure. So yeah, if we just had it with the two five, it would be. A Jazzy, yeah, mm-hmm. and then if we had, um, say the the one six four five, we'd have our. And then yeah. taking a step further, if we made the six is major in this song, but if we were minor, I mean, then we'd get our really archetypal. Yeah, you know, all of a sudden we're like playing gospel music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, but it's cool, man, and like you know, like we were talking about earlier too, the. You know, these guys come from the school of hard bop, but it was kind of sort of <laughs> a, a new t- a new time. I know? laughed because that sounds like the school of hard knocks. You're like, the school of hard bop. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I feel like that's what we go through every... Uh, it's a hard bop life. <laughs> it's cool. yeah. hard bop. <laughs> so um, there's something I want to do. I want to resurrect the punk rock version really quickly. Yeah. Because, it was like letter um, B, wasn't it? What's that? When it's been you, a while. When you, where were we playing yeah, that it has stuff? been a while. So this time I'm not going to gloss over any of the the changes. But I'm going to play it all sped up, and it's going to sound kind of like a punk rock tune. So, ready? One, two, three, huh. Oh, we're doing it two times? Yeah. We're going to do the whole thing? No, that's good enough. I think that's oh, okay. good enough. <laughs> but the, the whole song actually works like that, even through the B section. And I, I just found yeah. it like had that funny little lilt where it was very natural sounding to my ear yeah, yeah definitely i could see uh some angry anti-political <laughs> lyrics <laughs> yeah right uh, sweat uh, tattoos yeah the whole yeah. thing up jump swing <laughs> <laughs> like that <laughs> cool so should we move now into kind of how we got ready for this song mm-hmm. all right it's a jazz waltz uh, Andres, you want to go first? I uh, I was practicing my my waltzing in my house. 
Yeah. It was one, two, three, one, two, three. I have no idea uh, how to actually waltz. Oh. You, any, does anyone here like take? You didn't. You didn't take ballroom dancing. I was gonna say, did anyone take cotillion or any of those things where you have to learn those classic dances? There was a, <laughs> there was a, there's a little set of girls in my college uh-huh. that I was trying to like just meet and like hang out with, and they kept in, like taking me to ballroom dancing. Yeah. And it didn't go. Anywhere. They wanted to make sure you were a gentleman. Yeah. You know. Is that what you do? <laughs> yeah. I thought yeah. ballroom dancing was just a middle school. Are you sure that they were? <laughs> <laughs> so um you know I, I went back to my 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 uh my true just you know definitely find it on YouTube playing along with it. The one thing I did recently actually was different is I uh I got some new earbuds um the pro type and they have a really cool setting with a transparency mode meaning that I can listen to the song at the same volume of my saxophone which has always been like one of the biggest challenges you know, me playing it either over a stereo, um, loud, so the whole house listens, and that can get kind of obnoxious. Or if I just put on some, you know, like some cans, some some over-the-ear um, earphones, and then I can't hear my saxophone at all. So it was always kind of the struggle. So oddly enough, it was really nice to almost be playing at the same sound or level um, of, of this. And I definitely YouTubed it. Obviously, there's a whole bunch of... Um, different versions of it just a it's such a fun song you know, just play the melody um the soloists there's some there's some they're, they're doing some stuff <laughs> so i didn't necessarily play along with them um the version I, I heard had a flute yeah a flute, yeah a flutist yeah the freddie hubbard recording did have i don't know a, who a played flutist. the flute though i don't know i don't who know that either was. actually now that i i think i read that at some point like Freddie Hubbard's roommate was a flautist, but I wonder if it was the same person. Hmm. Anyway, that's neither and here nor there. I have I have two flutes, <laughs> and they're yeah. they're it's I find it like so difficult to play, uh, and it's really they're really hard to play. So every time I listen to a, a flute solo, I'm super envious because it's I I can't. I can get that sound out of that instrument. Maybe one day. Emmanuel, you were saying before we started this podcast that you enjoy waltzes. I do enjoy waltzes, yeah. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, they they move me in a certain kind of way. I think like leaning into that, the, the one is part of it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I, they, I've always been drawn to them in some ways. I like them for piano a lot. Um, one of my favorite jazz pieces of all time is Waltz for Debbie, the Bill Evans. Yeah, tune. yeah. Uh, <gasps> that is beautiful. a W. Yeah, Waltz for Debbie. Is that what? Wait, Walt, Walt, Waltz. It's called Waltz for Debbie. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So the T-U. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. All right, all right. Anyway, sorry. Oh, I no, didn't mean no to interrupt. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. Say that again, so you don't <laughs> yeah, give me up. <laughs> 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 I just, I, yeah, I don't know. I like the way that they move a lot of the time. Um, but I listened to a few versions of the song as well, and um, there's some really cool ones. I really liked. I liked this one by Eric Reed, who I didn't. Oh know. yeah, I saw that one, but I didn't listen to it. It is cool. It's like it starts off, I think, with a solo piano kind of interpretation of it, and then kind of kicks in a little bit more. Uh-huh. But very slow tempo. I kind of, I kind of liked listening to it. Was that a recording of Up Jump Spring or a different? Tune? Yeah, yeah. Oh, a slow version of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I think so. Yeah, from what I remember. Slower. Yeah. yeah. There's a version I think by Kenny Barron too, another pianist. Uh, that w- that I listened to that was really good as well, and uh, and I should mention that the song did have lyrics added to it later, like many of the other ones we've done up to this point. It, it didn't originally have lyrics, but lyrics were added to it after the fact by someone else. And there are a lot of versions that are sung. I heard w- a contemporary one by a singer named Diana 
Panton, I believe was her Diana Panton, I believe was her name, and it was she she had a beautiful voice. It was really well done, also. Hmm. Anyway, was, yeah. I was just gonna say this is one of those titles that always jumped out up at me from the rule book because mm-hmm. when I first got my hands in the rule book, I would just it flip jumped through up it at you and, oh, and hey, look at the name. Yeah. Out of all the pages, four hundred and twenty-five just yeah. popped up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just a cool title, you know. Yeah, yeah. up it. jump spring. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Aaron, what what is the approach? Uh, is there a standard approach you learn for waltzing in a jazz song on the bass? Do you still walk or like what do you? What's your the first thing you do? So I tuned into that wondering what. Um, the bass player was going to be doing and um, yeah a lot of times you get to cheat a little bit you know because I still find walking lines challenging so you can go I heard a lot of that when I was listening to the recordings yeah Yeah. you're like one to one to one to one leaning into the one as Emmanuel said yeah exactly Um, so there is a lot of that on the B section I think I I heard walking and I was like man how am I going to learn how to walk over three, because to me, it's such a four-four thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the way I kind of practiced to cheat was to say, um, I'm going to go one, five, chromatic, one, five, chromatic, one, five, chromatic, and that's just going to give me a walking sound. So I'll do that over the A part. So it's one, one, two, three. So like that. And so that's just, and I, I don't know, it's hard for me because I'm concentrating so hard. Does that sound more like a walk or does oh, it sound yeah. super arpeggiated? No, it sounds like a walk to me. Yeah. Sorry, I was trying to record something. Sorry. That's okay. So uh, that was my strategy. Uh, and the way I practiced that was to be going uh, one, two, three. And I'd add the chromatic note later. I, I could probably practice this song another two weeks easily before I felt yeah. a level of comfort that I was looking for. Yeah, especially since it's sort of changing feels from section to section. You know, you can't stick with one gear. You have to sort of yeah shift in and out of things. And what was interesting, even when we played the last, when we warmed up and when we played that last segment, I felt like it It kind of felt natural sometimes to do a little walky thing mm-hmm. and then go back to the lilting uh, waltz bass line and then maybe at the turnaround it it walks into the th- next section. And so I think my approach would be not to be too strict about it, but when it feels, you know, play around. And like, oh, if this is more driving in the solo, I'm going to walk. Or this is going to lead into uh, the head, I'm going to walk and then change. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Cool. Uh, my turn? Go ahead. All right. So uh, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I sort of took a different approach for preparing for this one, and that's because... I mentioned earlier that 3-4 as a waltz for me feels much more natural than like Juju by Wayne Shorter did, which sort of had this polyrhythmic Latin oh, feel yeah, to I it. Remember. Uh, for that song, if you recall, if you go back and visit that episode, I basically just had to memorize two bars of what uh, <laughs> Elvin Jones was doing in order to uh, imitate it close enough to the song that we could get through it. So you basically hear me playing the same two-bar phrase for two minutes or whatever. Uh, a waltz, I feel, like I said, a little bit more comfortable. Like I don't have to be counting one, two, three, one, two, three, or anything like that. I feel the pulse a little bit more naturally, you know, I think just because it's a form that's a little bit more understandable by the ear, you know, upon first hearing it, it's something we hear a lot of, I feel like, uh, in music. And so when I kind of felt that way when I was listening to it, I thought, 
well, maybe I won't try and just sort of practice three, four waltz chops, and I'll just do the Andres approach and try and use my ears more with this song and, and play in a more musical way that's less formulated around learning different three, four phrasings or anything like that. I'll just sort of see what I can do in three, four. So, uh, you know, I kind of took less of a technical approach this week, and, and I'm hoping that I'm able to do something musical. I'm sort of challenging myself to do something a little more musical with something that isn't as easy as 4-4, four, four, but I believe I might be able to pull off. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can you give us a little example of like, you know, you know, the old practice method and then the sure. new one? Yeah, well, I would say the Art Blakey version of this song, which is on, you know, the album Three Blind Mice that came out in 1962. I believe that's the first recording of this song. Art Blakey's version is great, and this is no knock on it at all, but his is a very... Like, you can hear the archetypal jazz waltz drum beat in it. And that's usually, you know, uh, a very familiar ride pattern, but you always hear that hi-hat on two and three, which sort oh. of emphasizes that waltz pattern. <laughs> that's actually not an easy thing to do either, especially if you're trying to comp phrases over top of that. Um, keeping that hi-hat time going. But it's also, I think, something a lot of drummers don't tend to do anymore just because they want to be a little more free with their four limbs and able to improvise with the hi-hat and the bass drum and not be constricted to that one, two, three, one, two, three. That's more of how I enjoy to play anyway. So you're not always going to hear me do that phrasing throughout the entire song. I might do it occasionally where I feel like there's some space maybe where... It's appropriate, um, or works better with the melodic phrasing or harmonic phrasing. Um, but can, can you give it a little example, like you know, play for eight bars of where you are not? Oh, sure. So strict? Yeah. So uh, this is just some three-four time um, in jazz drums. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it floats around a little more. Doesn't yeah. it doesn't emphasize it doesn't lean into the one like Emmanuel like you said, every, well, quite so that's much. The, that's the thing, is that like because the song is a waltz, so much of the harmony and the melody is already creating that waltz form, so I don't right. have to be beholden to it as much. And just now when I was playing, I was singing the melody to this song in my head so that I could sort of follow the rhythm of the melody rather than thinking one, two, three, one, two, three. I was thinking more you know, the rhythm of the song is sort of bop, 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 bop. And mm-hmm. that is a little bit more appropriate, I think, to try and improvise over or play over than, than just thinking about the time signature. That's cool. I know when I was listening to this, um, I noticed that Art was uh, really comping well with oh, the yeah. soloist. It's something, and I don't know all the drum names you have over there. Uh, but I want to say there's the, the boom there's and, the, the, and the splat. And there's a wagon. Is it, is it yeah. the crash? Is the 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 largest symbol? Or do you have how many? These are these are just. I mean, and what's these, the big one? These are both ride symbols. Oh gosh. Uh, one has some rivets installed in it, so it gets a little bit of a sizzle. So it's not that one then. I don't want yeah. that one. That's not that one either. Oh no, whatever oh, symbol. These? What? How many do you see? I only no, got... no, no, no. The, <laughs> the symbol that he was playing was uh, was more of a like a, a very loud. Oh. And um, during the soloist, 
Maybe it's not. Maybe it's the uh, way you play it. I don't yeah, know how yeah, it works. Yeah, there's lots but of the, ways you can, lots of sounds you can the get. The soloist would do a rhythm that would be very, oh gosh, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> it would just be a series five notes or so, and he would go bash, 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 bash. He would, yeah. he would play the same oh, rhythm. yeah. yeah. But it was it was a matter of like four bars. I'm like, this guy's playing the same symbol. He's just like smashing it. And it just it was huh, a really cool. it was interesting Dude, to have. Yeah. Eventually, I mean, we mentioned at the top of the podcast we've already done episodes on a host of musicians that have come through Art Blakey's band, but we really haven't dedicated time to Art Blakey. And that's because he was really more of a drummer band leader than he was himself a composer. So there's not many tunes that are gonna be by Art Blakey. So at some point we're just gonna have to dedicate wow. some episodes to talking about a lot of these jazz figures and band leaders who didn't write tunes but were such great musicians and such great uh, band leaders. Anyway, that, that's such an interesting perspective. Like in that sense, the real book does a disservice to people who oh, aren't totally composers but yeah. amazing figures in well, jazz. I mean, we've already seen that kind of with people we've run into where we've seen famous renditions by Louis Armstrong. It's pretty much every song, you know? <laughs> yeah. But like, uh, <laughs> but he himself didn't compose that many songs. He just did the greatest versions of all of them, you know? And, you know, like, obviously like Frank Sinatra and all these other people, like these guys didn't write their songs. They just performed them amazingly or whatever, you mm. know? So it's fun to think about that. Maybe, maybe, I mean, just spitballing live on air here, but this, th maybe that could be our next a project is like going alphabetically through jazz artists instead of songs. Or yeah, something. Ooh, that's an interesting. That we didn't get to. Interesting but. angle. Ooh, I we'll have to think about that. Oh boy, don't hold us to it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> have we covered everyone? That uh, that feels pretty complete to me. I think so. Anyone have anything else they want to add? Actually, I have one question before yeah. we play. So, how are you thinking uh, about oh. both you? <laughs> how are you feeling, Andres? Your solo over three, and same question for you. Um, you know, to me, it seems real easy to get lost, and I know what I, don't I, know, I it's all it's for me. It's all four bar, four beat phrases, and I, I'm confused at how you handle it over three. When I was practicing this with the recordings, I got lost every single time. <laughs> <laughs> when we're playing, I don't know if it's because we've played for so long. You know, it's I can I feel that I can get insane. I can actually watch. We just the, get lost uh, together. Can, yeah, pretty much. Happens. I can follow the bars uh, as we go go through. So, um, soloing over this, um, gosh, I don't know, Emmanuel. <laughs> can I? Can I? Uh, well, yeah. How do can you, I do a pass to can you? I call a lifeline. Uh, call a friend. friend. Yeah. Uh, is it? Uh, uh, what's, sorry, what's the question? So the question. My How do you question, solo over this? Yeah, my question is like, oh, soloing over four seems so ingrained, and mm -hmm. I can sort of, without even thinking, hear that four bar, four beat phrasing. Like, do you emphasize like the two and three, like the swish swish? What was that uh, sound you make, Justin? Splat 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 splat. Uh, I don't really think of the rhythm. I find like. Uh, this isn't very. Uh, how should I? How should I put this? I feel again. I, I don't know what it is for me, but the way that three four moves for me allows me to express certain things very melodically. And I'm not trying to toot my horn or anything like this because I have plenty of trouble with other things in music. But with the with the waltz, <clears throat> the way that it flows allows me to breathe more. Sometimes I I think that's part of it for sure. In that with four four, a lot of the time with these you know, divisions and all these four, four licks and all these things. I find a lot of the time 
the places to choose to breathe is put onto you a lot more as the player. Whereas when you're playing through a 3-4 or a waltz, I feel like the places to breathe come more naturally just with the way that the music is flowing. But you can breathe anytime. You don't have to. (laughs) (laughs) You have no limitations on your breath. (laughs) Like a musical breath, you know? (laughs) Like, uh, I I feel like if we're singing over it too, like uh, a... Can you give me a lick? Like a... I'm in four. Hold on. So <laughs> I know. <laughs> <It's> like, uh, <laughs> like, like. <laughs> so I don't know. You it's know? almost like you gotta you gotta take. It's like you gotta stop staring at your fingers. Like, you know, like when you're on a bicycle or a skateboard or something. If you look too close in front of you, you're gonna fall. Yeah. yeah. Like you're gonna you're gonna overcorrect and oversteer and all this stuff. Yeah. To me, it's almost like you you have to take a step back and listen to where you are kind of in in a bigger phrase, like yeah. across four bars. Right. And then you kind of stop and you wait and you're like, oh, here comes the next set. Mm-hmm. And these so four bars are going kind of quick, too. Yeah. Yeah. This is not a... Yeah, this this is more of an up-tempo waltz. I've never seen anyone waltz this fast in person, <laughs> but... Well, that's the thing, too. You know, waltz, it's a dance, right? And so right. I feel like that... Um, inherently natural movement will occur from that, you know, yeah. and I think that that's part of it for sure. Well, I'm going to be, as much as I can, listening as you guys solo to see how you choose your phrasing over it because I'm super curious. Yeah. yeah. Feel I'll, free to dance. I will probably be concentrating, and then when we <laughs> listen, when the podcast <laughs> releases, then I'll listen to it. <laughs> Let's play a song. Yeah. Yep. Watch out, everyone. Spring is jumping um, up at you. I don't know.
<laughs> that was that, that was, was kind of cool. Man. That was really cool. That, that was, was I think that the, was rad. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, Emmanuel, I really like the way you would like. It was as if. Um, Oh man, how do you scare you? Like pushing on the edge of the bubble. You push it, push it, push it. I and thought then I was comfortable in the waltz form, and then Emmanuel <laughs> took a solo. That was Jeez really neat, Louise, man. Wow. I I liked it. I enjoyed the trading solos. Yeah. Andres, during your solo, I I never got turned around. It always flowed really nicely. Yeah, I nice thought that was man. really cool. That was fun. Yeah, it nice felt intense under. too. Yeah, it was. That was that. a very aggressive spring time <laughs> yeah, I, like yeah. the, I like the bubble thing because i felt like we were all kind of doing that we're just all like at a different edge like pushing heads yeah. hoping like hoping i definitely wanted to keep going i was like man we gotta end it and but yeah, it was you know, neat it was yeah neat. wow one all take right. that's it Sick. i'd say we're done i enjoyed that yep that cool. was a lot of fun thank you guys oh thank you thank you, thank you. spring has jumped up all right, V. Yeah. So we Oh le- yeah, the the <laughs> verdict. V is for verdict. What happened? Verdict? We left it up to the to the listeners out oh, there no. on Instagram <laughs> to decide the fate of of the imposters and it was between two piano titans that we have yet to uh delve dive into, Bill Evans and Kenny Barron and Kenny Barron won it pretty handily, I would say. At the beginning it looked like it was going to be a landslide. And then Bill Evans started making a push back, but he could just never overcome uh, Kenny Barron's, uh, I don't know, initial support. So And so the tune is? Voyage by Kenny Barron. Oh, Voyage. Yeah, okay. Wait. That's what the people That's not the main decided. Voyage, is it? No, it's just Voyage. Uh-oh. <laughs> I, I don't know anything about that artist, I'm co- composer, yep. or yep. the tune. So I knew these... I knew a little bit about Bill Evans. You know, he played on Kind of Blue and uh, yeah. and, and obviously a little bit more familiar of a name to me. But uh, yeah, this only makes it more exciting. We're cool. gonna learn a bunch, and uh, I just hope so it's not this... in G flat again. <laughs> <laughs> if this song just sounds rough, it's your guys's fault. Not yeah, your yeah. guys's, but the public. <laughs> yeah, all you listeners out there, this, this is what is you your... wanted. This is what right. you wanted. This is what you get. We are so off the hook. But uh, thank you to all those out there that voted and participated in that, and hopefully we'll be able to do that with maybe one or two more tunes here before we wrap up the alphabet this time around. Um, How many letters do we have left? Not many. It's like six. Yeah, it's we're coming down C- to the wire. A, B, There's C- not going to be many oh, choices sorry. for X, so maybe maybe when we get to no, Y, five only five. Only five. Go. Yeah. Hmm. So uh, be looking out on our uh, on our respective social media pages for another opportunity to vote on a song we can do. And if you guys have any other ideas or suggestions for things you'd like to hear on the podcast, please reach out to us. We're on Instagram, the Jazz Imposters. We're on Facebook, the Jazz Imposters Podcast. We're even on Twitter, although I don't think anyone's checking it. It's mostly a graveyard. <laughs> we don't have any hot sports opinions about the current political cycle, so we're rarely on Twitter. Yeah. Um, but we'd still love to hear from you either way. You can also email us at jazzimposters at gmail.com. Um, but until next time, this has been Dustin on the drums. Aaron on electric bass. Andres on the saxophone. Emmanuel on the piano. We'll see you in the next one. Yeah.